Therefore, remember that formerly you, uh, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, or sorry, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence." I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Immeasurably more. I love the theme this theme of the journey through Ephesians that we've been making together because I feel like in addition to the truth that this phrase contains concerning the nature of God's power both working in us and working through us and working in the earth, it also strangely encapsulates um, 
the nature of my sermons. At this point, if you've listened to me before, you know that I am a long-winded preacher. That's because what I say in this brief moment that we have together, no matter what I say, there is immeasurably more to be said. <laughs> and that's because there's immeasurably more to be known and understood about this infinite God in his ways. But today, I'm going to do my level best to keep it to the point. Fortunately or unfortunately for you, that means I'm not teaching you a new song this morning. No dancing, no shouting. Well, I can't, I can't guarantee that. But uh, what it also means, though, is that we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to get God. It takes the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand him. And that also means that we have to say no to every other distraction. And so I'm just going to pray for us one more time. And, and, and we're going to do this a little uniquely. If you're in this room and you suffer from chronic migraine headaches or you have a headache right now, would you just raise your hand? Okay, we see several hands going up around the room, even in the balcony. And this is what I'm going to ask. If you're next to someone with a hand raised, would you just stretch out your hand to them? And then if you're in this room and you would say, man, I've just felt like a, a fog or a cloud over my mind, I just want you to also maybe raise your hand. And if you see that, that hand raised, just stretch out your hand. And now all of us who are remaining, if we would just put our hand on our head now. And Father, we take authority over migraines in Jesus' name. Father, we stand together as a community of faith and we arrest every attack or assault on our minds in the name of Jesus. We ask Holy Spirit come. We know that there are no headaches, there are no mental health issues. There, there are none of those things in heaven. And you said to pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we ask for the increase of your kingdom now in this space, in our homes, in our lives. And we thank you, Jesus, for your shalom. Amen. God is singularly the absolute most stunning communicator, storyteller, artist of all time. He has uniquely fashioned the entire created order. From the unseen outer reaches of the cosmos to the most finite of the subatomic particles within a single grain of sand, he is telling a story in order to speak of his unsurpassed power, his inexpressible beauty, his unmitigated love, his jealousy, his kindness, his tenderness, his complexity. Every ounce of his creation is clearly revealing him, and yet still full understanding of him eludes us. Unless we choose to pursue him beyond the veil of human reason and enter the holy place of divine mystery. Divine mystery. A word that anyone who has endured the last two years alone is well acquainted with. 
The insanity of the age in which we live is graciously offering us daily opportunities to curate more questions than answers. Mystery, perplexing situations that make us ask why. But the real question is, amidst all the things that are happening in our world today, can we perceive or can we understand the activity of God in the midst of the times that have gone before us, in the midst of the times in which we currently live? And moreover, is it possible for us to have clear insight into the plan of God in the days ahead? We were created to into into and to understand the mystery. Everybody say understand the mystery. mystery. C.S. Lewis said that is one of the functions of art to present what the narrow and desperately practical perspectives of real life exclude. Through art, we enter into the abstract, the realm of the unknown, the mystery. That's, that's the place. That's why artists are weird, right? That's, that's why Portland is weird. You know, it's like, oh, it's abstract. It's mystery, man. I'm a mysterious person. <laughs> that was probably more like SoCal than Portland, but hey. <laughs> Understanding, though, That the Bible or the biblical story is one of the clearest pathways that God has provided for us to enter into that mystery. But the Bible is not art. It is the physical manual for all of real life. But you and I and the whole created order, us, skin and bone, flesh, uh, lived out life is actually the art. We are the parable. Our world is the scene upon which heaven's redemptive story is playing, and every person, every place, every people group exists to carry the testimony of Jesus and ultimately reveal the Father. So I want to submit to you this morning that even what I'm wearing could be considered parabolic. A black and white shirt. What does this mean? What does this represent? Well, according to Gerald, it looks like I'm going to work at Foot Locker. <laughs> but, uh, thanks bro, appreciate that. But, uh, the black, <laughs> to his disappointment, it doesn't represent my deep desire to be a Foot Locker shoe salesman. I like shoes though. Uh, the black and white stripes may be representative, what if, what if it represents the historic conflict between black and white? Let, let's just hypothetically say it represented the parable of the conflict of this important story, but is actually something that could be a micro story, a subplot in a meta narrative of a much more, a much more comprehensive global conflict that would ultimately require a divine referee who will step into history's conflict, mediate the issues, and ultimately settle it. A parable. You see, in the spirit of the man who has been considered the greatest storyteller of all time, William Shakespeare, perhaps, you know, we should consider it 
and approach this story his way. He would start his, his uh, refrains with statements like two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. A parable leading to a greater truth. The, the Bible is the meta narrative, it's the truth. So let's approach Ephesians in the same way. Two households, both alike in dignity, but not recognized as such. Israel, home of the bustling city of Jerusalem and Ephesus, home of the Gentiles, where we lay our scene. Jerusalem, Israel, and Ephesus, Turkey. Why Israel? First of all, we could look at Psalm 132, where it says, for the Lord, the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Jerusalem is the place that God has chosen as the eternal seat of Jesus' government, of his leadership in his throne. It's one of the signposts that we look to as an indication of the nearness of Jesus' return. It's the very geographic place where our faith was birthed, where all of the, the parables and the stories that Jesus uh, gives to us as a gift were told. It's the place and the people at the center of the biblical narrative in both antiquity and the present. Why Ephesus? Well, it was... The Roman Empire's wealthy Turkish seat of cross-cultural influence. It was a place of commerce. It was a place of, of thought. It was a place of, of, of art and creativity. It was, it was a, another seat. It was a place of power. And so this is where we lay our scene when we look at Ephesians 2.11, which says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Circumcision. Do you know what that is? <laughs> it is where the firstborn male would have extra flesh on his reproductive part cut off. Now, there are four traits of circumcision. First, it was a command. In Genesis 17, Abraham is told or given a perpetual ordinance. That means a law that needs to be done until Jesus comes back throughout history to circumcise every male in his household on the eighth day. In Egypt, when they were in captivity, when the Hebrews were in captivity, the practice of circumcision was likely lost but it was restored before they began to enter the conquest for the promised land in the book of Joshua. Or in other words, before they could enter into the place of inheritance, they had to see the ordinances of holiness and the sacraments of God reinstituted in their people. So first of all, circumcision was a command. Second, it's a sign of covenant. 
God's covenant with Abraham, again in Genesis 17, is where the command was given, but he makes this covenant with Abraham that his children and their offspring, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. So that kind of kind of alludes to why it's the reproductive part, right? Because it's, it's this, the cutting away of flesh, which then leads to the third thing that it's a sign of, a sign of consecration, of being chosen of, and set apart. Cutting away the, the, the works of the flesh, being, being holy, coming out of Babylon, coming out of Egypt, and reproducing holiness, training your sons and daughters to, to remember the commandments of God, remember that he was the one who struck fear in the heart of, of Pharaoh and brought us out of slavery and into the promise. Finally, circumcision was a mark of distinction. It was what set you apart as part of the people of God, the chosen ones. You were a Jew or a Gentile, and it was a mark of belonging, kind of like a, a very painful hidden tattoo. If you were circumcised, you were a Jewish insider, and if you were uncircumcised, you were a Gentile outsider. We can look at the Old Testament and see it as a distinguishing dividing line. You have to imagine back in that day, they all looked alike. I mean, they looked very similar. You're talking about the Middle East. You're talking about a hot sun. Everybody was dark skinned. You couldn't just distinguish between Jew and Gentile as clearly as you could like black and white. A lot of them, everybody just kind of looked the same. <laughs> so the only way to really distinguish it was by spiritual pursuit. You, you understood who was a Jew and who was a Gentile by the God that you served. Are you seeking to live under the law of the God of Moses or the lawlessness of some other deity or entity? There was a separation between the two. This is why verse 12 begins to come into clearer view, that at that time you were without Christ being uncircumcised, being outside of God, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, living in lawlessness as a Gentile caused all sorts of problems. You can trace the history of the Hebrew people and the Gentiles were the ones who oppressed them. To get into the promised land, God told them to actually go in and cleanse the land. He actually commanded them to go and kill and drive out many of the Gentiles or to tear down their altars of worship. He over and over told the Jewish people not to worship the Gentile gods, to, de to destroy their places of worship, mainly because the Gentiles did not know or revere the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Hebrew people were far from holy. They turned from God as well. Thus, a crazy cyclical story of violence, oppression, corruption, division has played out for literally thousands of years between various Jew and Gentile nations with every atrocity under the sun being committed from slavery to genocide and ongoing conflict to this day. 
Unfortunately, hatred and division is no respecter of persons. So the divide today doesn't just rest between Jew and Gentile. It plays out between Gentile and Gentile. Then it goes and extends beyond all of the categorizations that can be created within humanity. You see, we create the divisions. We create it by creating the the subsets of groups and the the ideological uh, value systems that we pledge our allegiance to. In other words, we are a people who spawn isms that produce schisms. But this scripture says that the gap that we've created, which exists between us, has been closed. That's exciting, that's great. But how many of us really want to be close to people that we don't like? The people you don't understand. The people who your foremothers and forefathers taught you to mistrust. The people who oppressed you. The people who depress you. This scripture may not immediately sound or feel like good news because being brought near doesn't mean that there is peace. Just because you and I are in proximity doesn't mean that we are reconciled. Just because you live next to your neighbor, we're near to each other, doesn't mean you like your neighbor. (laughs) In fact, thank you God for bringing me near to those who I was separated from, but I'm not sure I want to be near them. This is the fact in Jerusalem today. We can see that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is undisputably the smallest yet the most contested piece of land on the earth today. It sits on the border of an area area populated by Arab Gentiles, generally referred to as the West Bank, though some people call it Palestine and Zionists call it Israel. The conflict around who actually belongs in the land Who should have access to or the ability to worship on the Temple Mount is actually thousands of years old, and the modern conversation and conflict spans over seven decades. A blogger named Jerem Probe notes, it is a conflict that has polarized between left and right, communist and capitalist, west and east, Christians and Muslims, developed and the developing. Even talking about the names as such would be deemed as controversial and divided. Award-winning journalist, author, and former Multnomah County resident, Michael J. Totten says, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object. Both Israelis and Palestinians are irresistible forces, and they're both immovable objects. It's almost like God knew that there would be a conflict today when Paul was speaking to the Ephesians. It's it's almost like he knew that proximity was not enough. It's almost like there's a wall between Israel and Palestine. It's almost like then and now we needed something greater than proximity, something greater than human peace treaties, something greater than laws and ordinances because all of those can be broken, but I'll show you one who cannot be broken. In verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one 
and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. If I was in a black church, the whole place would have given me an amen. I need you to understand something. Enmity. What is it? The definition of enmity is a deep-seated, often mutual hatred. A feeling or state of hatred or animosity. This scripture says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What's the ordinance? That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What's the definition of an ordinance? An authoritative decree or direction. For example, a Jew being told in order to keep the Jewish law, you cannot have dinner with someone who isn't Jewish. Another definition is a law set forth by a governmental authority, specifically a municipal regulation. Let's just say, for example, in our times, a city ordinance that forbids people of color from entering through the same door as a white person or living in the same community in a certain area of town. Are you starting to catch what I'm talking about? Another definition of an ordinance is a prescribed usage, practice, or ceremony, such as perhaps the old covenant, a law. A, a, a set of values, a, a certain standard that, that really nobody can meet, even though it was decreed by deity, it ultimately reveals his standard of holiness and his best, uh, uh, his best design and desire for how the nations and how life should work on the earth. But it says in verse 15, so he so as to create in himself one new man, everybody say one new man, man. from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Every law Every internal situation that has kept us separated, Jesus says, you know what? I'm stepping in as the referee and I'm going to take all of the conflict within me. Now, a woman gives birth. We We all have many different experiences culturally, many different places, socioeconomic differences, but the one thing that every single person in this room, I don't care who you are, where you come from, we all have at least one shared experience that none of us remember. And that is we came through the womb of a woman. Every single one of us, nobody in this room grew in a laboratory. Every single one of us have no memory whatsoever of what it was like to swim around inside of a woman's belly. This is incredible. We all pass through the womb of a woman and when a woman gives birth, her water breaks. Water flows, 
Until I was married, I'm sorry, this is maybe a little graphic, but until uh, we had our, da- our daughter, I didn't know. I, I just did not know. <laughs> I always heard my water break. You know, you see on the movies, a woman's water breaks, and it's just like clear, like spring water. <laughs> that is not what it looks like when the water breaks. It's water and blood. But water and blood is shed and a new human emerges. See, in salvation, we have to pass through the womb of the cross. And when we do, we're born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. See, in John 19, 34, it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. What if the water breaking in the womb is yet another parable that speaks of a greater meta narrative and a greater mystery? All of humanity and the hostility of, and, and the iniquity of antiquity passed through Jesus' womb in that moment. In other words, it was Jesus on the cross giving birth to a new species of humanity. If we're willing to consider it in this way, it would not be a stretch to say that Jesus is the only man who has ever given birth. He says in John 3, starting at verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus says, I am the one that is carrying, I I, I will take the seed of man's iniquity within my body, all of their enmity, all of their bitterness, all of their hatred, all of their injustice, I will take it within me and I will take the raw materials of what was dust and I will recreate it. And then I, pregnant with the hope of heaven, will give birth to a new man. We must pass through the blood. The blood pumps from the heart and gives life to the body. When blood is spilled, it is the spilling of life. This is why the Bible says there is no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for a friend or to spill your blood, which is also a a manifestation of love. If you spill your blood for someone else, love or blood covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It washes. It covers. The blood of Jesus is the life or the love of God. So when enmity, hatred, which is sourced in sin and death, passes through the life, the love, the blood of God, it disintegrates. Hatred cannot endure the cross. 
I'm talking about a blood that disarms the powers of hell. I'm talking about a blood that is more powerful than all of the law and the ordinances that were created to to keep us in a a false sense of humanity. Uh, A blood that is more powerful than all of the inherited traits of pain and harm and hurt and, and ways of thinking and pathologies that are out of alignment with God. All of the things that that make us not want to be proximate to our neighbor, much less one with them. God says, pass through the blood and I'll create a new thought system a new process, a new kingdom language, a new constitution. But it's interesting, it said, blood and water. So we pass through the water and the ritual of baptism, burying the old man in the water, a symbol of laying down the old humanity, the old flesh, the first Adam, the cavity that we receive from our earthly distinction. We, we lay it down in the water and then we come out raised with Christ into a new humanity. We must pass through the blood. We must pass through the water in order to be born again into one new man. Somebody say one. One plus one is two. That's unity. It didn't say a united new man, it says one new man. Jesus died for one times one. Exponential power that happens when one becomes one. Two plus two, (laughs) that's great. Blessed are those who dwell together in unity. Unity, God loves addition, he loves united. But no, 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 he asked for something higher than unity. In John 17, I have given them my glory that they may be. I have given them my glory that they may be not united. When I'm one, that means if if I'm just united, right now I'm united with my shoe. We are, we're operating in lockstep. Everywhere I go, my shoe goes. Everything I stomp, my shoe stomps. We're in good form right now, united, but this unity can easily be broken. Oh, there's no more unity. Do you see what I'm trying to say? But my foot is one with me. I'm a, that's a whole nother level. I can't take it off. If this thing gets hurt, I'm limping. Well, it's just a shoe. It's not important. I'm here to tell you, how many of you have broken your pinky toe? It's the smallest thing and it's like, ah! <laughs> He says, I have given them glory, glory that you might be one. That's supernatural power from heaven. That is is something weighty. And it takes, it's supernatural to be one. So then, verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. My shalom I give to you, not as the world gives. I have already settled the issues. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The true gospel is that God has already done it. He, Jesus, when he was praying that prayer in John 17, wasn't like, Lord, I just hope that there'll be one. Lord, please. No, he says, I have finished the work. I've given them the glory to be one. It's done. So then he went and he preached peace. He's like, yeah, you got all these issues. Yeah, being, being a, a Jew and, a, and under Roman oppression, it's hard. Yeah, da-da-da-da-da. But look, here's the good news. Peace to you has already been accomplished. Why are you downcast? 
I, I've, I've purchased your peace. I, the shalom that I give is not as the world gives. And it says in verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I could preach for the next hour on just that passage, but here's the summary. God has chosen for us to make our home in Christ. He has chosen to give all of us a key to his house Live in the house together and then make us his house. There's a lot of dynamics in that. You're like, man, that's a run on sentence, JT. I'm not, I, I didn't coin it. This is Jesus. You got to understand. God has chosen for all of us, Jew, Gentile, black, white, slave, free, male, female, to live in Christ. Our dwelling places in him. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And then Christ gives us a key to all of the riches and the inheritance in the Father's house, the Father of the nations. That means all of the cultural expressions, all of the cultural victories, all of the cultural weaknesses, all of it is our inheritance as a new family, a new humanity. We're a part of a new family, literally. I don't think y'all believe me this morning, that's okay. And our inheritance is in one another but his inheritance and his home is in us. So that leads us to Ephesians 3, where Paul, again, a Jewish man, he says, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles, a Jewish man sent to a people not his own, not in the first Adam, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, his family. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. There's that word again. Somebody say the mystery. As I have briefly already written, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery. Hold up. There's that word again. What does it say? The mystery. He's saying when you hear me speak, you will know that I have knowledge of understanding. I have supernatural grace to understand the mystery. That which has been hidden through other, throughout the ages and was not made known to the sons of man, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Two things we can take from this. First of all, in order to understand the meta narrative of God, we have to understand that it takes supernatural understanding. Supernatural grace. By now you've heard of the supernatural grace that I have to understand and unpack for you the mystery. Two, it has not been understood by all of history. He says it's been hidden until now. So there's something of the meta narrative, the redemptive plan of God that has been hidden until this age. And I would even submit to you that today, to this point, the cultural crisis, the racial conversations, the conflict in the Middle East is actually a signpost that the church of today largely does not understand the mystery. For many of us, it's been hidden. 
What is this mystery? Verse six says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That doesn't sound too mysterious. No, no, no. Do you, under, do you understand what he's saying? He's going, this is the mystery. That the Gentile nations who oppressed Israel, who Israel turned around and killed, who've had all this conflict, and the Gentiles that have been fighting among Gentiles, black uh, folks fighting, Africans fighting, Europeans, uh, uh, Shia Muslims fighting, Sunni Muslims, like all of this conflict, all of this stuff that have caused all the geopolitical, socioeconomic, and cultural conflicts in the earth. Here's the mystery. You are heirs through Christ in one another with Israel. And I have become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. The mystery is that through Christ's bloodline, we are family. We have a shared inheritance, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, whatever is promised as an inheritance first to the Jew is now also the inheritance of the Gentile. Followed to its logical conclusion, the gospel contains the solution to the world's most significant, most critical, and most confounding historic, sociocultural, geopolitical, economic issues. And then Paul says to me, The least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He says, grace was given to me to preach this gospel and and, and make everyone see the fellowship. You can't fellowship unless it's two people coming together, unless unless you're becoming one, unless you're in proximity to one another, to understand the fellowship of the mystery. which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. This means that God gives us power to lead others in understanding the ministry, the the mystery and the ministry. Finally, this last passage, Ephesians 3, 10 through 13, says the intent of God is that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is for your glory. You have to understand there are suffering that Jesus went through, sufferings that, the, the, that Paul went through, sufferings that the apostles went through to work out and to work for us a glory that's increasing, that's greater than, than what they ever knew or experienced. There is a glory that Jesus says, I've given you, I've given them glory to be one. Paul says, there's glory for you because I'm suffering right now, because I'm, I'm entering into the sufferings of Christ. But there is an age coming in the church where the mature church, somebody say the mature church. I'm not just talking about like one location, one congregation. The mature expression of Christianity in the earth that Jesus is returning to will put on display the kaleidoscopic wisdom of God. 
It's like a kaleidoscope. There is a day coming on the earth where people will see a church, where the world is in chaos, where people are fighting. There's wars and rumors of war, nations rising against nation, it says in Matthew 24. When everything is chaotic, suddenly just like this stained glass window with all the different multicolors, people will see a united, not just a united, but a one new expression on the earth and it will be the followers of Jesus that are black, white, yellow, brown, red, Asian, and we will love each other in a supernatural love. And like a beautifully adorned bride, we will step through the earth and the nations will be filled with the king, with the beauty of the king of glory. I believe this morning that there are three invitations, at least, maybe more. But first of all, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And I believe that this morning, the Holy Spirit is an ex- extending an invitation for some of you in this room who say, you know what? With the way I was born, like the way I've been living, I I wish I could just have a a completely new start, like a blank slate, just to restart, set the reset button on my life. He says, enter in through me, through Christ, and be born again. You You can't get the goodness of the kingdom of God without being born, not of the flesh, but of the spirit, passing through the blood of Jesus accepting the finished work of the cross, what Jesus has done for you, repenting, turning from your sins and turning to Jesus and saying, not just that, I don't only want to accept your salvation and freedom from darkness and sin, but I actually want you to be the Lord. That means like the king, the the one pulling the strings of my heart, the one in charge, like surrendering. I believe that you have a plan for me that's better than any plan that I could have ever imagined or or schemed out in in a planning session, a strategic planning session for my life. Lord, I believe you're the Lord of heaven and earth, and and I want you to be the Lord and and the one who's on the throne of my heart. And I want to extend that invitation. We want to extend that invitation to you this morning. Secondly, I believe that God wants to release to those uh, uh, that, that are responding and those, all of us in this room, supernatural grace to understand the word of God. That we would understand the biblical story and narrative and that he would give us the ability not just to read the words, but to understand and enter into the realm of mystery. That's called the spirit of revelation. I believe that God wants to raise up biblical and cultural apologists out of this room. This is a house known around the the country and probably even the world for teaching. I think there's a, a... a divine supernatural spirit of of the IQ of God, like the intelligence of God, not in in an exclusive like, hey man, we're really smart, we get get it. No, not, not a prideful thing. I'm talking about those who are hungry to understand the riches of the mystery of this gospel. That God would reawaken and ignite a hunger for the word in this place. And then third, I believe that he wants to mark some of you 
Even this morning, you've been wrestling with career decisions. Some of you have been incubating certain ministry uh, callings and ideas in your hearts. Some of you have no idea. You've asked the Lord, what is my purpose? I have no idea. But this morning, the Lord wants to release callings, empowerment for you. Like Paul, he says, he's given me grace to make known the mystery among the Gentiles. I believe that God wants to release specific callings to ministry, to missions, to evangelism, to teaching, to preaching, to service in the nations. God's going to give some of you uh, business ideas that, that serve the Middle East and ultimately help advance and bring forth the kingdom of God in the nations of the earth. And so I believe that there's something this morning of a, a watershed moment for some of you right now, the Lord is stirring in your heart and you're saying, I want to grow in, in, in the ability to respond to the call of God on my life and enter in fully to it.